listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You know, there's a lot of something that we spend a lot of time and energy on each and every week, even each and every day. We spend a lot of time in our lives pursuing and, and seeking after this thing called comfort. I mean, we like days that go well, I know I do, and that go according to plan. We like a good night's rest and a trouble-free morning. We like cars that start and plumbing that works and computers that work. and We seek these lives of comfort. But then it doesn't take much for one thing to go wrong and frustration comes. And we get discouraged. And it's because we like this idea of comfort and ease. And we often look at life and when things are comfortable and things are easy, we acknowledge these blessings from God Almighty. Well, this morning we are going to look at a passage that is just the opposite. It's a topic that no one enjoys talking about. It's something that no one looks to go through. We're going to talk about suffering. And here's something about it. It's easy for us to recognize that blessings are from God. When things go well and we hear of uh, someone going through some illness and they're, they're healed from that. Or, man, we acknowledge God's blessing in this Henderson campus and Him working out details that we could not do on our best day. But when it comes to suffering, we look at it very differently. We treat blessings that are kind of from God to us. But when it comes to suffering... We tend to look at it as it only belongs to us. And we respond to it very differently. And what happens is when suffering happens, we then tend to turn into ourselves and then our worlds shrink according to our size of pain. And that happens to all of us. Because it is much harder to recognize that God also owns our suffering. And if God really is sovereign, which we believe He is, if He is control of all things, think about it. That means that everything that happens in your life, the good and the bad, the joyful, the painful, everything must first pass through His loving and caring hands. But this morning, we're going to see that God is far more committed to something besides our comfort. Does He love for us to be comfortable at times? Sure. But there is something else in our lives that God is much more dedicated and committed to. Because here's what we're going to see today. Salvation, it is not about taking us somewhere first class. And everyone loves first class. Salvation is not about taking us somewhere first class. It's about making us like someone. That's the goal. That's the purpose. It's not about taking you Somewhere in first class, in great comfort and ease. It's about making us like someone. And it begins in verse 18. Paul says, For I consider all things of this present time, notice what he says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says all things, if you add up the suffering of this present time, he says it doesn't come close to comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed. So two questions we're going to have to answer. First of all, what does Paul mean by suffering? And second of all, what is this glory to be revealed? Let me take Paul just as an example. If he's talking about himself, 
He was beaten numerous times. He was stoned. In fact, one time he was stoned and they thought he was dead and just left him out there. Soon he'll be shipwrecked. He's been ridiculed and made fun of everywhere he goes. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says that he's got this thorn in his flesh that he prays that God would remove several times, but God does not. But put yourself in the place of these original readers. These readers are in Rome, and Rome was not an easy place for believers. I mean, the gospel is beginning to move west, and here you find a place that is not at all Christian-friendly. First of all, the emperor is Nero. Nero was one that uh, was a complete selfish, narcissistic, control freak. In fact, he rose to power by killing his father that adopted him. The mother that helped get him there, when he feels like she's turned down, he kills her. And then he even killed his first wife. And he openly and he actively persecuted believers. And in fact, he is so crazy, so out of his mind, in about four years, he will burn Rome to the ground. And then he will blame the Christians. Many were going to be killed because of their identity with Jesus Christ. So remember, think of it this way. It's early Sunday morning. You get up and you're going to go to the house that you've been gathering together with other believers. And I don't think there was often this huge air of celebration because they're gathering each Sunday morning, especially in Rome. Perhaps three weeks ago, someone's wife or daughter was carried off by Roman soldiers and abused. A few weeks ago, maybe it was the guy you traded with and he had etched a a cross into his little stall that he traded uh, goods in. Maybe someone watched him be hung or burned at the stake. Perhaps you're awoken the night before and your neighbor's been carried off by Roman soldiers not knowing what was happening because I believe in this time each and every week they would look around and there would still be empty chairs not knowing what had happened to people that are choosing to follow Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let me read verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of That is about to be revealed to us. He says all of the sufferings. All that they are and all that they will ever go through. He says will not compare to the glory to be revealed. So then what is the glory? I believe he is talking about this time where God will unleash all of his blessings upon his children. One will be seeing Jesus face to face. Living in a world without sin or pain, or struggles, or death, and much, much more. And so Paul is saying the blessings that God has stored up for His people are many times greater than the sufferings that we would ever have to endure in the world. In fact, this is not a new message at all. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says almost the same thing. He tells them, for this light Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And notice, Paul is not saying that pain is not real. He is not saying that, that struggles are not hard. And he's not saying that, that suffering is not painful. But he's saying in comparison to the glory that will one day be revealed, they are 
light. So here's some things off the bat we need to understand about suffering. As we read this, we need to understand, before we take it to a practical level, there are people that have suffered for the name of Jesus Christ, for having faith in Him in ways that we will never have to suffer. And we need to be thankful and appreciate what other believers have gone through. But another thing is this, is it's suffering. When that happens in our life, it doesn't mean God's plan is failing. Sometimes suffering is the plan, and we're going to see that. But another thing about suffering is that suffering is often for believers. It's a sign that you belong to Him, that we suffer because we belong to and carry the name of Christ. And then the last thing with this is that when we suffer, or there is suffering, it is in those times that you come in. If you've gone through something, you heard Jacob talk about walking through that with their daughter Elise. I know some of you, many of your stories. Looking back now, you can see and you would say, it was in that suffering that I came to more deeply and appreciate God's grace in my life. Because salvation, it's not about taking us somewhere in first class. It is about making us like someone. So here's what Paul is going to do. He wants to build up their hope. Once again, like we saw last week, it's not a list of commands. Hey, just go and do this. He wants to go after their hearts and their minds. So he's going to talk about what the Spirit does in the life of a believer. And there's three things. One, in verses 19 through 25, you'll see the Spirit is there to help you focus on a future glory. The next section, he'll talk about the Spirit helps us to overcome our weaknesses. And lastly, the Spirit will assure us, even in the greatest of pains, that God is working for our good. So here's the first part, that the Spirit helps focus on future glory. And he's going to use an interesting illustration. He's going to use creation. In verse 19, he says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of God's sons. Meaning there is one day... God is going to pull back the veil and He will unveil and release all of those who belong to Him. And notice that creation is eagerly longing for that day. And then in verse 20, it says, For creation is subjected to this idea, and this word means frustration. That the world, creation, is not as it should be. There is always this frustration describing the change and the decay of all created things. That when God created, it was good. But then when Adam sinned, and in Adam we all sinned, it affected more than just him. It affected all creation. Adam was supposed to be God's representative on the earth. And when he failed at that, <coughs> all of creation suffers. But he says one day, there is coming a change. And he says there is hope. Look at the end of verse 20. <clears throat> In hope, looking forward to a day that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth 
until now. He says, hold fast. I know the suffering is hard. I know the pain is difficult. But there is coming a day when all of creation will be set free. The day when God reveals who his children are, creation will also be released. But notice the only way to endure present suffering, even for creation, do you see what the only hope is? Is to have eyes for a future glory. Is to keep focused on that. And so here's where the Spirit comes to the aid. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons and redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So he describes the Spirit in this idea of first fruits. And the Spirit is what he means. is talking about that the beginnings or the foretaste of God's salvation. One day will be absolutely revealed. That yes, we are adopted, but one day that will finally be realized. But he says, in the meantime, I'm giving you just a taste. I'm giving you an appetizer. And that is the indwelling of the Spirit. And one of the things that the Spirit does, it helps us to groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption to be finalized in the redemption of our bodies. So the Spirit is there in the pain, in the struggle, in the suffering to help us long for and to stay focused on this world is not all there is. That there is coming a better day. What so happens often when pain and struggles and suffering happens, it's so easy to get focused on the here and now and that this is all there is in my circumstances and I turn inwardly. But our confidence and our hope is strengthened when we go through trials and suffering because the Spirit is there that lives in us to keep us focused on a future glory that will outweigh all suffering. So the Spirit reminds us that our future glory will be far greater than our suffering. And as bad as the suffering is at times, and man, I have seen some families walk through some horrible tragedies. But even in that, believers can say, as painful as this is, that I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemies, my future glory will be better. So the Spirit helps us focus on there is a future glory. Because remember, salvation, it's not about taking us somewhere in first class. It's about making us like someone. But the Spirit's not done. Look at also what the Spirit does. It helps us to overcome our weaknesses. In verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And this idea of help, it means to come alongside and, and to help carry a, a heavy burden. But it means more than that. It isn't just a one-time help. This word means keep on helping. What is the weakness? I think Paul has in mind all kinds of things. Physical weakness. Paul prayed about that often. Emotional weakness. But especially spiritual weakness. 
And Paul's going to bring up one weakness that everybody has, and especially a weakness that comes to the forefront when someone is suffering. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Because when suffering happens, it is so easy to turn into ourselves, and our world shrinks to our level of pain. When suffering happens, we often don't know how or even what to pray. Have you ever been in that situation where the pain is so bad and you just feel like I cannot make sense of what is going on? Why would God let this happen? So when the pain and the struggle and the suffering is so difficult and we want to turn into ourselves and you don't know how to pray and you don't know what to pray or you don't feel like praying, you know what the promise is? The Spirit is there to step in and to help and to keep on helping carry the load. Because notice what the Spirit does at the end of verse 26. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we don't know what to pray or we don't know how to pray or we don't even want to pray, in those times the Spirit is there to intercede and to make up and to bring the help where we are weak. I mean, I can remember a time not too long ago somebody was sharing something was happening in their life and I thought, oh my goodness. And they're looking for some hope. They're looking for some help. And you're standing there absolutely helpless because you have no words but it's in those times that the spirit steps in so the spirit helps us to focus on a future glory it helps us to overcome our weakness the spirit's not done the spirit assures us that god is working for our good because look at verse 28 and we know we we believe we we have a confidence that for those who love god all things, not some, not just the good. He says, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Did you know for the believer, every single thing in our lives that happens, the good and the bad, the easy, the hard, everything in our lives, the moments we like to celebrate and the ones we want to forget, they always have two purposes for in the life of a believer. It's always for God's glory, and it's always for your good. Everything in our lives that happened. And I've got some great moments. And I have some horrible ones. But in all of that, it's always for God's glory and our good. But how do we define good? I think oftentimes it's the things that I like or the things I want, or the things I desire that when I think of good. But when Paul writes this, he has something very different in mind. When he says all things work together for good, good is anything that contributes to making you like Jesus. That's what good is. It's not just the things that feel good. It's even in the pain and the struggles and the suffering, the things that are hard. And all of that is to produce what he considers a much greater good, much better than just our comfort. 
In fact, many things that we do not consider good are allowed to happen to produce a stronger faith and a more certain hope in us. Listen to how Douglas Moo puts it. So when we see suffering or we experience suffering, the promise to believe is that there is nothing in this world that is not intended by God to assist us on our earthly journey and to bring us safely and certainly to the glorious destination God has prepared. Because salvation is not about taking us somewhere first class. It's about making us like someone. And there are things that happen that can only come through suffering. That may be in losing a child. That may be in a marriage that never seems to go well. It may be in a job you hate with every fiber of your being. But God knows that our our spirit knows that we are frail and we are fragile and we are weak. So the spirit leads Paul to write some beautiful words. Because these people are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And it would be very easy to give up. So Paul wants to speak to the certainty and the confidence that every believer can have in their salvation and future glory. He wants to keep their eyes focused on the prize. So he is going to write some beautiful words. And it begins in verse 29. Well, let's back up. 28 is where it begins. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. To those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Meaning that God will work all things, the good and the bad, the enjoyable, the the painful, the suffering, all of it is for His glory and our good. And He wants them to know this happens long before you ever realize it. In fact, He works all things for our good according to God's divine and perfect purpose. That God is not just sitting there reacting to things. And so he's going to use five verbs to describe God's saving purpose. Foreknows, predestines, calls, justifies, and glorifies. And we're going to talk about these words for a little bit. But I don't have time to go into great detail. So here's what I want you to know. We're going to finish chapter 8 next week, and then we'll be in chapter 9. And chapter 9 is all about God's sovereignty. And we will dive deep into these words. And then chapter 10 is all about man's responsibility and how do these things work together. But I've actually preached on this twice previously. One was this past summer on June 24th of 2019. You can go to the website under media and you can find that message. I encourage you to go and read that if you or listen to that if you want to. You can watch a video, you can listen to the audio. But back in February of 2015, I also talked about this. This idea of of God's sovereignty and human responsibility and and God and, and free will and calling and all of these things. 
So what I've done, I've printed those off. If you want to take one, they're, they're stapled together, and you can read through it in your own leisure because we don't have time to get down into the details, but we will in just a few weeks. So let me just skim the surface here. The first thing he wants them to know that God foreknew. But notice what's foreknown. God is looking at this. We read this. That God is not looking. and He doesn't see someone doing something. Notice what is foreknown. It's not an event, but a person. Those whom God foreknew. So why would Paul write that? I think in these people that are suffering, he wants to encourage his readers that, hey, in this suffering, and you will suffer for the sake of Christ, God intimately knows you, and he knew you before you were ever born. Because when suffering happens, isn't it easy to feel alone and forgotten? And he wants them to know that God knew you before he even created you. And then he says, he not only for new you, he predestined. This word means to mark out a boundary, to set up beforehand. He means God ordained, God marks out before it happens. And notice what he predestines. He maps out a plan, he sets the boundary so that his children would be conformed into the image of his son. That's God's goal for our salvation, that we would be conformed and I want you to know if he leaves that just up to us that will never happen but in order for that to happen something else had to happen in order for us to be conformed into the image of his son and notice God calls but this isn't just God sending out some invitations hoping and I hope somebody shows up this calling is more than being invited. It's a summons. It's given something. And then he justifies. So because he foreknew, because he predestines, because he calls, we can be justified. And for those in Christ, notice what happens. They're glorified. They are conformed into the image of His Son. And that is the promise for every single believer from every single age. And Paul wants them to know that God will not fail in this. He will not fall short and He will not lose one single one. He wants them to rest assured that God has them, even in their suffering. Because salvation is not about taking us somewhere in first class. It's about making us like Someone. So as believers, we should believe this about during times of suffering. And I know some of you have gone through some extremely painful things. But one know this. When suffering happens, God is always at work and He always has a perfect plan. It will always be for His glory and your good. And that plan is to make us like Jesus and God will succeed. So where do we go? What do we take from this? I want you to see four things from Romans chapter 8, from 18 to 30. That one, as I've said it multiple times, there's always two purposes. It's God's glory and our good. Every time something happens in our lives of believers, it's always for God's glory and our good. Do you know what that means? It means that God can't do but good to you. 
Now, it won't always feel good. And there are some things I wished had never happened. But God cannot do but good to us. It will not be comfortable. It will not always be easy. But it will always be what will make us into the image of His Son. The second thing to remind yourself of, there is no amount of current suffering that will come close to compare to the future glory you will receive as a child of God. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, but if you only knew what has gone on in my life, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But Paul says all things, when you add them up together, all suffering cannot compare to the glory that we will receive. A third thing to take with you. Suffering is intended to always create a louder cry. I mean, every time we watch a natural disaster like the fires going through Australia or the hurricanes that have hit Puerto Rico over and over again. Every time someone dies, they have to bury a child. Your body aches or it hurts. It doesn't work like it should. Every time sickness comes on you or someone you love, or we hear of a baby being aborted, or abuse, or neglect, or discrimination. Every time we hear or see this, a cry in us should grow louder and louder for God to complete the work that He one day will finish. That we cry along with creation that this is not all there is. But then fight for more and more hope. And I know when suffering comes, there are those moments of deep, deep despair. But listen, don't turn into yourself. Surround yourself with people to help carry the load. Use God's word. But when the weariness comes, and listen, I know it will. And you want to give up hope and you will remember that there is someone within you that will come alongside and keep on hoping. To help you keep focused on a future glory. To help you to overcome the weakness when you don't even know what to pray or how to pray or want to pray. The Spirit is there to intercede. And when it seems like God has forgotten or He doesn't love or He doesn't care, the Spirit is there to assure you that all things are working together for those who love Him. So suffering doesn't mean that God's plan has failed. In fact, Oftentimes it is the plan. And it can remind you and show you that you are a part of God's family. The church, remember, salvation is not about taking you somewhere in first class. It is about making you like His Son. And if you know God's salvation in your life, I pray that Romans 8 will bring more power the next time struggles and and pain and suffering happens. Or maybe to help you see your past sufferings differently. But if you don't know God's salvation, if you've never received God's free gift of salvation in the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reach out to Him this morning. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.